evening, gentlemen. Welcome back to Weighing In, presented by Track Wrestling. I'm Alex Steen. On the phone is David Mirakatani. This is episode number 93. David, it's raining like cats and dogs down here. What's what's going on in Missouri? It's fine here, actually. Um, kind of cooled down. Last week, the weather was, you know, kind of the center of attention of the golf world with the PGA Championship being here. Uh, St. Louis really showed out. Guys like Tiger Woods and Brooks Koepka were talking about what a what a great crowd experience it was. So, but I think people weren't really familiar with uh, the heat here. They, they were saying like it's going to be really hot and it's just a normal August. This week it's cooled down a little bit, but overall we were, we were happy how that turned out as a city and uh, really proud of all the people that, that got that organized and did such a great job. It's it's amazing. It seems like every time the golf world comes to the Midwest in the summer, they're surprised by the heat. You'd think they'd figure it out at some point. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that if you watch the golf calendar, it's all designed to be, like, in the right places at the right time. You know, like, they play in Florida and California early in the calendar year, and then they generally go to places that are cooler later in the calendar year. And I think this is the last year the PGA is going to be in August. I think next year it actually moves to May, and it's going to be in New York at Beth Page Black. Right. So I hope that, you know, St. Louis gets in the bid, you know, gets in the mix again. Uh, we don't have a lot of super, super elite golf courses. You know, I think, you know, it'd be tough to get a U.S. Open here, but it was just cool for the city. And uh, it was interesting all weekend if, you know, if you head out at all. Everybody's just, you know, wearing the old, uh, you know, polo shirt, shorts, white belt, hat. You know, it's like the uniform for the weekend. So it was fun to see that. Absolutely. It's come through the through Tulsa a few times with Southern Hills here, and it's the same. I mean, I think the last time it was here, it was 100 and something degrees, and it's the same. It's like, oh, wow, it's hot. It's like, yeah, it's Oklahoma in the summertime. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, welcome to the Midwest, right? A little northern, a little north of where we are, uh, a couple of Greco guys on the move, Robbie Smith and Joe Rao headed to the Northwestern RTC. Uh, we don't see a lot of Greco athletes, the RTCs. There's a few around. So when these guys move, it's news, right, David? Yeah, especially Robbie Smith. You know, I mean, Joe Rao, too. But Robbie Smith is, is, you know, very flamboyant guy. You know, had big presence at the Beat the Streets event. You know, lost his series to uh, Adam Kuhn, but still our, our world team alternate. Was an Olympic team member. High profile get for Northwestern, having those guys there. And I think a lot of people are starting to understand. It was interesting this year going to so many events and watching guys coach Greco that don't normally coach it, like watching uh, a Lou Rosselli and a Chris Perry and, and you know, even like a commentary brands. I think they're starting to see some of the value of Greco that it does help with positioning, does help with keeping the center of the mat. Uh, also, it, it can keep you in the match. If when a guy shoots on you and you can bring him up instead of push him down, it gets uh, it opens up a whole new uh, line of attacks. And if you're really good at it, it might scare guys into really shooting on you from shooting on you. And then that really, really helps your game, obviously. Certainly, and I think we've you know most of us that have coached have kind of figured out that you know the three styles of wrestling can be complementary, uh, but the highest levels of Greco now has it's starting to become more and more of a, of a reasonable path for those that want to walk that path and adding elite Greco members to the RTCs will just be another step in that direction. So I was glad to see this. Uh, both of those guys 
uh, well, no, sorry. Uh, the world team members and many of the other national team members will be in Germany this weekend. Neither of those guys will be on the trip, uh, but they'll be there for the Grand Prix of Germany, just like we saw with the men's freestyle going uh, overseas. Greco is going to follow suit and get their tune-up in. Uh, it's going to be – it's not a ranking – event but it still should be good experience and it seems like every time our guys go overseas we get a little more information um you know guys like kamal bay are still young john j chavez will be on this trip you know there's a lot of still young guys what are you looking for this weekend well it was interesting if you're on social media and you're friends with some of those people they did a big camp in in vegas and they brought in a lot of different guys. They brought in like a Nate Engel and they brought in a Randy Couture. So they brought in, you know, some old school, some new school, you know, Gary Mayab was obviously there. I, I, we've talked about this a lot that it seems like, you know, at the 14 to 20 year old age, some Americans are as good as everybody else in the world in Greco. A guy like Savion Severado from here in St. Louis, you know, made the finals of the world last year. And, but then it, we talked about this, you know, Guys' goals in high school are to go to college and wrestle. They might have goals of being Olympic champions and things like that, but they still want to go wrestle in college. And they're going to recruit you based on your ability to grab and defend legs. So I feel like that's where we fall off as a country. Uh, the measuring stick analogy is, you know, seeing where we are, that sort of thing is, is absolutely right. And I think, you know, I had a chance to sit with Coach Mayap for a couple hours at the junior duels. He did the play-by-play -play with, with Coach Carrero and I. And we got a chance to talk sort of, you know, offline. And they're trying to implement some new things. So, you know, I think we'll probably look for that, see how that goes, and maybe talk about that next week. I might even lob a call into Gary and, and get his uh, impressions of how he felt like, you know, this trip goes. Yeah, and I did misspeak. Uh, Joe Rao is on the trip. It's a really interesting mix of experienced veterans like Rao. And, you know, you look at Sam Hayeswinkle, of course, on the trip. Fielka's on the trip. And then you look at some of the guys like, obviously, Bay and Chavez are young, but, you know, Max Nowry and Dalton Roberts and Taylor Lamont are on the trip. Adam Kuhn's on the trip for, you know, as he's back in Greco. It's a really interesting mix of guys. And our team as a whole is an interesting mix in that regard. So I'll be interested to see how they do. It's always interesting when you go up against the Europeans. They they wrestle a completely different style than we see on this half of the world. So it'll be interesting to see. Had a couple of interesting college coaching moves this week. Uh, on the positive note, Kyle Russell is the new head coach at UTC, um, takes over. It, it's tough to take over in August. Um, how much success do you think he's going to have putting together a staff and getting things started this late? It's a great question, right? I mean, you know, we all want to be optimistic about everything. I think it's tough, though, right? I mean, the good news is there's 70-something jobs in Division One, and he got one of them. He's a guy that got a lot of uh, a lot of kudos for the work he did at uh, Wisconsin. So. You know, when, when that coaching staff changed and he wasn't retained, he looked for one of the guys like that are going to land. And to go from an assistant coach to a head coach, you know, albeit from the Big Ten and the SOCON, still a, a great move for him. I, I think, you know, he has his fingers on, on Southern Scuffle, obviously. Uh, the Southwest is getting a lot better with some, you know, some really good recruits coming out of the Florida, Georgia kind of area. 
Tennessee's doing better. So I don't know this year if it's realistic to expect him to make some big jumps. I mean, when people look about big jumps in the national tournament, it's just like, can you get one guy to place when you didn't have any guys placed the year before? Like a team like Wyoming, they have a good dual meet team, but they have a lot of guys that are sort of round of 16, round of 24 guys. We talked about them last week. Bryce Meredith makes the finals. They're wearing a suit on Saturday night, and they're scoring 18, 20 more points in the tournament. That's how you go from just that big bundle of groups all between like five and 12 points to being in the top 20 and being talked about on track wrestling. So, you know, he's got to find a way to make that happen. And he's a guy that wrestles with the guys. So maybe he'll just find a guy or two that he really can make a difference with and do that almost like the Mark Cody recipe uh, at American university. But everything I've heard about him is just a great guy, works really hard, really good person. So I think it's a great get for chat. And I'm guessing he's probably not going to be in a rush to get an assistant coach. He's going to go do, do his due diligence, work through his network and get the guy that he feels like is the right fit for his program. It's interesting that you mentioned Mark Cody, because it's obviously a different context, but that's immediately what I've thought of was the turnover at OU when, you know, Cody left that program late in the summer, late offseason, and Roselli came on. And a lot of people are kind of looking at the Sooners going, you know, it's been kind of a slow turnover, but really that first offseason, Roselli didn't really get one. So I think you're going to see that with UTC as the same. Um, it might take them a little bit, you know, to get up and running there. But, yeah, I think every everybody has good things to say about him. So uh, got to be optimistic about how that's going to go. Um, the Roselli so, so analogy is a good one because I got a chance to spend some time with with Lou this summer, really, really bright, bright guy. And, you know, he just talked about how, you know, you want to have your own guys in there. And so, you know, he's, and he's got, gets along with those guys that are fine. I'm not saying that, but it's, you know, if you recruit, if you're coaching some guys that you would have had them a different priority on your recruiting list. And, you know, now you have to go in and get them. One of the interesting things about a Rosselli kind of situation is, they they can recruit to their results, him and Leitner and Guerrero at the at various programs as opposed to well just what has OU done recently. And I think Rochelle will probably do that with what's happened in Wisconsin with like a Wick and those kind of guys. That makes a lot of sense and obviously uh there's a lot of different ways to recruit, so I'm sure he'll tread that path quite often. Uh, the negative side on the coaching front this week, Mike Zadick is out at Iowa State. Um, we've seen a statement from Kevin Dresser and now a statement from Mike Zadick. So we've got a little bit of information. And, of course, there's more going on behind the scenes. David, what do you think happened? I, I think they were not on the same page. I think that I, I've watched this happen. You know, I was part of programs. I mean, it was different because my dad was the head coach. so was really easy to find where the line was and not step over it. I think when you have coaches that are more CEO-like and less, you know, throwing the shoes and shorts every day type, sometimes people underestimate and overestimate themselves in the role of others. And, you know, for example, maybe you have a guy who's a great recruiter, but he's not the best technician or the best, uh, wrestling, you know, guy to wrestle live with or best tactician or any of those things. That guy's still incredibly valued, valuable because if you don't get the right guys, it, it doesn't, the other guys don't have anybody to train. 
Conversely, if all you have are a bunch of recruiters and nobody to train them up and get them better and those other things, they're going to stagnate. I think it's it's an, an interesting development because clearly there was loyalty there because Dresser brought him over from VTAC, talked about having his dream, dream team of coaches. But things change quickly, and wrestling's an interesting sport because, in general, we put a lot of alpha males in the room and try to figure out how they're all going to get along. And so I think in this case, it just went more that direction. Definitely. I mean, I think that was an obvious question mark when you saw that coaching staff. I mean, obviously, Dresser and Zadik have been together for a while, but you add Metcalf to that mix and you put them in a brand-new environment that, you know, they haven't seen before in Ames and a lot of work to do. And now we've – I guess they just – couldn't see eye to eye which it's interesting because I've seen some speculation well you know they've been together for a while now and you're just figuring that out but I mean you know that how that goes sometimes the environment changes you think you can make it work and then at some point it just gets to that point where okay yeah now we can't really make this work and you know it's really dresser's call at the end of the day on who is around his program and uh, I thought your point about the CEO thing was very good because Dresser is probably one of the most CEO-like um, coaches from everything I've heard. Um, he, you know, he'll be very upfront about letting his assistants run practices and be in the room and, you know, run that part of it. So it's it's interesting to note that, you know, Zadik was in the in the room running a lot of the practices, and if that, you know, if he wasn't willing to do what dresser wanted or if they just disagreed on too many things, I guess, you know, that makes sense. There's, you know, there's some other rumors swirling around out there, but at the end of the day, if you disagree with your boss, boss is going to win that argument, right? Yeah. Your boss is, the, is always right. Even if you don't think they're right. So, I mean, that's, that's obviously critical. And I think, you know, there's a hundred ways to say this, but winning is the best cologne or deodorant in the world. So, you know, when you're winning a lot of other stuff, you just look past it. So they were winning at Virginia Tech. You know, they were getting all Americans. You know, they were they were calling people oranges and things like that and winning the ACC and being in the top 10 and, you know, multiple all Americans. And then you go to just what had to be a season from hell last year, even though they knew it was coming. But knowing something's going to be bad and going through it are two entirely different things. So when things are good, you can overlook a lot. And when things are bad, everything becomes magnified. So if there are any fissures or if there are any fissures in the, in the structure, in the support system, they're going to pop up. Definitely. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of turnover in that room and a lot of people leaving you know, we had the Canaan store situation during the last season. He was far from the only one to leave. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes Dresser to get a group in there that buy in and that he can get that ball rolling in the right direction. Obviously, this year you would expect a step forward, um, especially with Nicholas transferring in. But is that enough to get that ball rolling to get them towards what Virginia Tech became by the time he was done there? Um, I think if he does get that ball rolling, he'll be successful. But if it takes another couple of years, you might start seeing more of this, you know, disagreement between people. Because like you said, losing is hard. 
and nobody wants to, none of these guys want to lose. Nobody wants to go through that, even if you know it's the likely outcome. So the longer that keeps happening, the harder I think it's going to be for everyone to coexist. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, we've seen this sometimes it's kind of like two people just shouldn't, you know, some people shouldn't be married for a hundred years. Some people shouldn't coach together for a hundred years. Like sometimes change is just okay. And you know, when this isn't a marriage and marriage is 50, 50, this is not 50, 50 at the end of the day, one, one guy hired the other guy. So It'd be interesting to see if Mike Sadek ends up at like USA Wrestling. Obviously, his brother's there. If he goes back to coach in high school, uh, you know, if he, you know, there's turnover every year. You know, the interesting thing is it probably won't hurt Iowa State in retaining guys because there's, he's not at, you know, new location X where somebody could try to transfer at the last minute and follow him. So it, it probably helps Iowa State in that, in that sense. Right. It, anybody that's going to transfer is probably going to wait, right? And they probably wrestle the year and see. So you have that that time to retain them anyway. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, then you have that time to say, hey, look, it was it's just fine here without them. You don't need to go anywhere. You know, yada yada. Anything else on that? No, no. Um, we dig into these next four teams as we get into it. Absolutely. Uh, those who listened to episode 92 last week know we're slowly building our way up the national rankings from last year, the final, the top 20 from the NCAA tournament last year and break them down. We did 20 through 17 last week. Uh, this week we've got Lockhaven who finished 16th, Lehigh 15th, Illinois and Oklahoma State who finished in the tie for 13th. We'll start with Lockhaven who scored 35 points. You know, going through this I was there at the NCAA tournament and, you know, you've obviously been to plenty yourself every year. I think there are things that happen at the NCAA tournament and in the moment you, you see them, you know, they're happening. And then when you go back, you know, this time of year to look at them, you just marvel at the fact that it happened and you don't even, it's almost like you forgot that it happened. Not really that. I mean, if you told me Ronnie Perry got second, yeah, I, I knew that. I watched it happen. But when I was putting these together and I wrote Ronnie Perry second, just kind of, it was shocking to me. Like it was, it's amazing that his run that he put together to get to the finals, and that was a huge part of them finishing with 35 points. Well, sure. It's, it's funny you mention that because I've been working, and, and I told you this, I'm working slowly putting together the preliminary rankings for the preseason, and then you and I are going to tweak them. And I was actually up to 149 going into today. And, you know, but Perry, not only did he make the finals, but he got a major. So he scored 17 points. So he basically scored half their points. You know, and, and this is what we talked about with, like, the uh, analogy with, you know, with Wyoming 141, with Bryce Meredith, those kind of guys, that one guy can outscore a whole bunch of teams. I mean, we have a very unique sport that way. So, the other thing, and when we need to Perry beat the two seed, the ten seed, and the eleven seed, and he beat uh, Sorensen, who'd been a national finalist, and Sertzis, who had been a national champion. So then he beat Kowalczyk, who was probably going to be the preseason number one. So it wasn't like the bracket fell apart. He literally just busted the bracket. Yeah, he definitely took the took the 
took the bracket apart himself, made his own way to the finals. And I mean, he'd been a guy who was pretty good, you know, always solid, always national qualifier type. But I don't think anybody saw that coming. And I kind of draw the parallel with North Carolina, who we talked last week, you know, Heilman. Heilman did it all season. Perry really just peaked at the end. But at the same time, you know, when we go through these lineups and, you know, boy, I just don't see, you know, who's going to step up and all that stuff. I think this time last year, nobody was looking at Perry or Heilman doing that. So you always have to keep that in mind when we go through these that, you know, there's going to be guys we don't see coming. It's just the way it is with NCAA wrestling. It's one of the great things about it. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing, like you said, you know, you made the analogy to Heilman, and it's true. But NC, UNC wrestles a much higher profile schedule than Lockhaven because Ronnie Perry was 32 and 4. Right. You know, but like you look at like Marsteller, and I'm trying to pull him up here, he was 45 and 4. But they don't, they don't have a lot of – they have a lot of quality wins, so if they lose those matches, they have a bunch of wins in, um, you know, against, like, maybe qualifiers, maybe blood round, you know, like, almost qualifier kind of guys. Um, but they don't have, like – you know, if they lose those top ten matches, it, it's hard for them. They don't have, like, well, I lost to the number three and six guy, but I beat the four and seven guy. They don't have those – they don't have those that many opportunities. Right. I mean, Marsteller had lost to Steyard at the Southern Scuffle, and then he lost to Chad Walsh when he met him because they're both EWL. And that's that was pretty – and he'd beaten Walsh earlier in the season in the duel. So, But that was, yeah, very limited exposure to ranked opponents, nightmare to a seed. And, of course, that means there's two or three matches that really determine where you're at in the bracket. Um, and- and that's where the, the watering down of the Christmas events with some people going to Scuffle, some people going to Midland, some people going to South Beach, and then Oklahoma State and North Carolina State having to do in Italy. Like, it's just that much harder to hit a lot of quality guys. That's why that Cliff Keen tournament in Vegas is so important because that's where a lot of these schools have a big chance to, to make a splash. Definitely, and I think obviously with the uh... – with Oklahoma State, North Carolina State back in the mix, that'll help with some of that. Um, you know, it, you can't dictate what people's schedules are, but if you're if you're not going to one of Vegas, Midlands, or Scuffle, you have to you have to make it up somewhere else in your schedule, or your schedule ends up being pretty soft. And I think we saw that with Missouri last year. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a little biased because. I'm a Brian Smith fan and I'm from Missouri. They don't duck anybody. They're just in a conference where they don't wrestle as many people as other people, but they duel Cornell. They do, they duel Oklahoma state. I mean, they beat Oklahoma state in Stillwater. Yep. And, but you know, they went to South beach duels and they got some good duels. Like they dueled Cornell and they dueled North Carolina, but they didn't hit as many of those, those guys, you know, like if there was just one Christmas tournament or even two, it would change a lot of this stuff. But when you carve out, you know, like 16 teams that went down there and then another two that went to Italy, and, you know, a lot of them, you know, like Mizzou, Cornell, Oklahoma State, which is perennially a top seven team, it just wasn't this year, and then North Carolina State, you have four traditional top ten teams. 
that aren't at Scuffler aren't at Midlands, and that just hurts everybody. Right, and I'm sure we'll talk about their schedule more when we get to the Tigers, but let's go through the, the weights for Lock Haven. Um, the qualifiers that they return are Kyle Schuchert at 141, Alex Clucker at 157, Marsteller at 165, um, Corey Hazel at 184, and Thomas Haynes at 285. They uh, they do have an interesting transfer group. Cole Manley's coming in at 133, where they also have DJ Fellman returning. That'll be an interesting lineup battle. And then Austin Bell from Pittsburgh's transferring in at 174, where the starter Jared Segrist returns. Another good lineup battle there. They have a lot of guys. I mean, like you you, t- you touched on their schedule a little bit, but so when you look at their records, they might be a little inflated, but they have a lot of guys that won 30-something matches last year. Those are the kind of guys, when you get that much winning, that can really make that leap because, um, you know, you get that confidence going. Who do you see in that lineup that might do that? Well, I think you're, you're really looking – Obviously, you know, Marsteller is conceptually a title threat. I mean, he's, you know, super hammered. Dave Schultz winner coming out of high school. I mean, 65 is a loaded weight. You know, last year he was the nine seed. Uh, Chandler Rogers, the eight seed, got upset and he beat Virouette, but then Marsteller got pretty much handled by Imar. Came back to beat Richie Lewis in the blood round, then beat Chandler Rogers, then beat McFadden, and kind of got caught in that weird defensive pin position with Wick. So he's got to be considered a title threat. Honestly, I think you're looking at guys at weights that have maybe thinned out a lot. So like maybe heavyweight, maybe Thomas Haynes where there's not a lot of depth. Maybe Corey Hazel at 84, especially if Zahid stays down, which is I'm I'm hearing is going to happen. And especially if Bo Nickel goes up, you know, now you have the two guys that most people thought would be you know, the most likely to win the weight, and neither one of them are there. Now, all of a sudden, like, well, maybe this guy can sneak in and get a 6th, 7th, 8th. They need two guys, realistically, to get, like, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th to make up for Ronnie Perry's points. You know, but we, we kind of do this. I think this is a team that will struggle to score the same amount of points that they did last year. Because Ronnie Perry, like we said, scored 17 points. It's going to be tough to pick that up. It's going to be very, very difficult. Right, and they certainly exceeded expectations at the national tournament based on where they were seated. So we knew, you know, just just based on that, you're going to have a hard time, you know, replicating that performance. But another good recruiting class coming in. They're trying to defend their EWL tournament title. You know, Lockhaven, they're always going to be around. They they have a really solid base to build from. For sure. Moving up to the 15th finishing team from last year, Lehigh, who really did not have a good national tournament after finally unseating Cornell at the EIWAs and ending that streak really didn't have a very good tournament in Cleveland. Uh, obviously Darian Cruz, by the time we got to nationals, he was the top seed. A lot of people were picking against him and he finished fifth the year after taking the title. Uh, Gotti Parker finished seventh. Luke Karam, Cortland Schuyler, Ian Brown, and Gordon Wolf all won matches. Jordan Cutler was sixth, Ryan Price was round to 12, Chris Weiler was round to 12, and Jordan Wood was round to 12. And so there's a lot of guys there that had higher hopes. And, of course, anytime you lose three in the blood round, that's tough to take. For sure. I mean, I'm looking at this as we're talking, and it's just first glance, but every one of their guys wrestled below their seed. You know, Cruz, you know the guys that were seeded, Cruz, Parker, 
color and price and price, especially like a top four seed and didn't place, you know, Scotty Parker was seeded six, took seventh, but you know, that's not a, a huge deal in points, but Darian Cruz, you know, first to fifth, that's significant point. That's 10 points falling off, but you know, they have guys that can, that can score. I mean, 33 is loaded and Parker never gets any credit during the year, but he's done it twice. He's podiumed. So if he podiumed again, it wouldn't surprise you. Color, you feel like is a guy that can place. Brian Price is a guy that feel like can place. Jordan Wood will start out ranked in the top eight. Chris Weiler's had some great matches with guys like Darmstead and things like that. And then with Gordon Wolf and Cole Walter, they're really solid at that weight. Luke Karam's good. Gordon Schuyler's good. And you know, you've got this pointed out here. Connor Schramm transfers in. Had that really bad injury a couple years ago, but obviously a guy you know, sort of a one-year rental, but could really do some damage. And 25 thins out a little bit. So maybe he's a guy that, you know, could could get them some points back. This feels like a team that will score more than, than what they scored last year. Yeah, I think the day after Cleveland, even knowing that they were going to lose Darian Cruz because he was a senior, you would have said, yeah, they definitely have a chance to score more because if you ran it back right then, they might have scored more. And obviously adding Shram, that's a nice piece. It's it's great for a kid like that who, I mean, last year when it was announced he wasn't going to be able to finish the year at Stanford because of the injury, everyone, I think, just assumed his career was over. So it's great to see him getting one last shot. And then, you know, you look up and down, Lehigh's lineup is always deep. And it looks like Ian Brown might have an injury that keeps him out. and what I'm hearing is that Gordon Wolf is going to try to make 57. They have options. You know, even if Brown doesn't wrestle, they could have Gordon Wolf there. Kent Lane is an option there. Obviously Cole Walter could step in at 165. Like you mentioned, I mean, you go up to 197, you had Jake Jacobson and Chris Weiler trading starts for much of the year. And Kyle Gentile is still around. They always have all these guys that have wins here and there that have potential. So, this is going to be another balanced team. They're going to be pretty deep. But again, you're going to have to have guys that step up and get in that top four to make up for Cruz's points and to push them to where they want to be. I think they definitely saw themselves as a top 10 team last year, especially after they won the EIWA tournament. But they're going to have to wrestle better at the end of the year. And they normally do. So that's not, you know, it's not a an instance where you expect them to underperform perennially. But once you do that once, it kind of gets in your head and you have to prove it to yourself the next year. Yeah. Like, I mean, they had a great duel at Penn State, right? So, I mean, they, they do a great job. It's a great – Santoro does a wonderful job with those guys, Coach Hughes. It, they probably perennially have one of the best dual meet teams in the country. No easy outs there, but it's just a matter of them getting more guys in the podium, which is what you say every year about every team because they literally, you know, team gets judged on three days in March, you know, so it's it's what it comes down to. And but this looks like a team that could get more guys on the podium. It really does. Like they look like a team that you go, okay, Scotty Parker can place again. Shram on a good day, Shram places, Parker places. Maybe Wolf places at 57, Cutler places, Price places, Wood places. You get five All-Americans, you're going to score more than 36 points like you did last year. I mean, that's 40 to 50 points normally. 
Right. I mean, they beat Michigan pretty handily in a duel. And that was, yeah. That was kind of the high point of the year. I mean, obviously, that, they will point to their win at the EIWAs, but I really think that when they beat Michigan, that was probably as good as they wrestled all year. Now they just need to move that back a little bit and peak in March, which hard to do, obviously. Sure, that's what everybody's goal is, right? And, you know, they did the absolute opposite. They absolutely cratered. So we also, programs learn from that. We don't know who was hurt, who was healthy, all that stuff. But generally, you don't see those kind of things get repeated, especially from a program that good. Yeah, and when it's when it's like that, when you perform well at the conference tournament and then crater, it, it looks less to me like a problem with peaking and just a bad couple of days. You know, I mean, you know how tough how, how tough that NCAA tournament is. It doesn't take much. You you can be good, and if you just have an off match or somebody wrestles really good, you catch the wrong part of the draw stuff happens so when you when you're looking at guys that you know everybody won a match that's good now they got to find a way to win two or three more and get on that podium yeah amen to that that's exactly what they got to do moving on to the tie for 13th we'll start with illinois 37 and a half points obviously a lot of those came from isaiah martinez who finished up his career as a four-time ncaa finalist uh you know it's always hard when a guy like that leaves. Um, obviously, replacing his points is very difficult. But you've always had that guy that you can look to every time you take the mat. That guy's going to be good. That guy's going to win for us. That guy's going to, you know, go out there and lead. Now he's gone. Obviously, still around at the RTC, which is great for them. But he's going to be gone. Who do you think can step up to help fill that role? Well, it's got to be Emery Parker, and it's probably got to be Mikey Carr, right? I mean, you just look at the guys that did the next best, and it needs to be them. I mean, they signed um, the Bronigo brothers, but I think the, they'll have the ability to redshirt those guys. Uh, Joey Gunther transfers in. Xavier Montalvo is a guy that had big credentials coming out. But, again, this team feels a lot like uh, Lockhaven, where it's going to be difficult uh to you know to match what they did last year because you're i looked at imar's bracket here he scored he got 16 points per second and then he had a tech and a major so that's 18 and a half i mean that is basically half the points so you're gonna have to make up 19 points yeah and they don't have an obvious guy that you point to and go yeah he didn't do as well as he could have last year he can make up points there because parker loses in the first round comes all the way back for third, so that's a lot of points. Um, you know, Carr was around to 12. He could go up, but that's, you know, he's another guy who's probably going to find himself in the round 12 again. You know, Piotrowski's a solid guy at 125, but I don't know how much he's going to move up. They, I'm sure they hope Dylan Duncan moves up, but and, and Gunther's another, you know, NCAA qualifier type. You mentioned Montalvo. He's really interesting. Only got one match last year before missing the rest of the year. You hope that he's healthy and comes back. And obviously, you mentioned his credentials. You know, he's a guy I'm sure they're hoping can do big things, but we haven't seen him much. So it's hard to project where exactly he fits. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the guy like Andre Lee, like he's a guy that just hasn't been able to stay healthy. You know, like these are guys, you know, and like Deuce uh, Ratchel, who, like literally Illinois was going to beat Iowa in that dual meet till he threw himself to his back and pinned himself. Like 
yeah, I mean, like, they it's going to be hard to find 18 points. I just, I don't know how, um, I don't know where they're going to find them, honestly. Because, I mean, where they're good are deep weights. Like, 141 is really good. Like, there's a lot of good guys there. It's going to be difficult. You know, Emory Parker, he's got a chance to make the finals if everything I'm hearing is the case. Because he would start the year ranked number two, which, you know, I mean, obviously you have a great chance to make the finals if you're the preseason two. Right. And, I mean, that's one of the, that's one of those cases where he'll start number two. That'll seem too high. It's the only fair place to put him. But when you look at the rest of his season, you kind of go, is he that good? But he might be. I mean, he's 20, he went 28-4 and four last year. And, you know, he wasn't wrestling an easy schedule by any means, obviously. I mean, you're in the Big Ten. You're not going to get a cakewalk schedule. He won a lot of matches. And then, you know, he goes to the NCAA tournament, loses in the first round, and shows his medal. you, you got to like a guy like that. So, you know, I think a lot of people will see him at two to start out and question that. But that's absolutely what, what he has earned. And he may, by the end of the year, just be that kind of guy that no one questions that anymore. Um, He's that good. I think you look at the guy. He's uber talented, right? Right. You know, I mean, and he, he scores big, he scores points in bunches. And that's, that's another thing that really helps, right? When you have, uh, you know, when you can score a lot of six feet to back, six point moves, you're never out of the match. Exactly. And, you know, that's at 184 pounds, you get a lot of those guys. I mean, him and Miles Martin, that's going to be a fun match to watch, right? So, yeah, like that. But I think when you talk about trying to make up, you know, basically 18 points, it's got to be by committee. You got to get, you know, two or three more from a bunch of different guys, I think. Um, You know, Eric Barone is one of those guys, you know, at 149, he didn't qualify last year. But he's got some wins. You know it's in there. He could do it. I don't know who they're going to start at 157, so you probably aren't getting much out of that. But You've got to chip away at it, I think. I don't think you're going to get a guy that just makes the leap, although, like I said before, you never know, I guess. Um, but, yeah. And, and, you know, Deuce Rachel, yes, the Iowa thing, I don't think he's ever going to live that down. But, you know, he's pulled that move off so many times on different guys. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah, it was probably the wrong move at the time, but that's who he is. Like, that's that's who he is. He's going to go – He's going to try to go big. He's going to try to win. And you got to, you got to respect that. You know, you're not, he's not going to go out there and back out of bounds a bunch and get beat, you know, three to nothing, which I, I appreciate that. I'm sure in the moment, his coach. You can appreciate that, but you never coached college. And I can tell you, I wouldn't have appreciated that. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I'm sure his coaches in the moment wish he would have thought had done that. But, you know, from a fan's perspective, when I see that, you know, a guy is going to go for it. I, I like that. Even if in the moment you're going, no, 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 please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Like, we're, that's it. That is a program-changing win. I mean, and then they had it. Right. They had it. So. But, you know, that really, yeah. it kind of speaks to how crazy duels can get and how big a swings. Because if you watch these two teams, you know, you watched Illinois and Iowa at the NCAA tournament, you would have thought, man, Iowa is way better than Illinois. But it's just like Michigan and Lehigh you just mentioned a minute ago, right? Exactly. The same thing. But any given day, you know, you get 
a guy or two out of the lineup, you get a swing match that goes the wrong way, you know, somebody gets pinned, and suddenly you have that kind of situation where Illinois almost steals it. Yeah. Well, the best explanation succinctly I've ever heard is in tournaments, your best guys matter, and in dual meets, your worst guys matter. And it's probably the clearest way I've ever heard it said. Right. And I, I agree with that. And the other thing about duels is that the small sample size is a bigger deal. I mean, if if you get a guy hurt, you know, in the NCAA tournament, it can obviously dramatically impact your score. But if that guy was going to major or better his opponent, and now he has to injury default, suddenly that's, you know, that's a double digit swing. That's hard to make up. Other guys can even it wasn't, it's a nine point swing, right? And that's right. time to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so many examples of somebody, you know, catching a highly ranked opponent in a fluke move and getting a pin and it just changing the entire complexion of a duel. It's harder to see that happen, especially with the backside in the NCAA tournament. And we just talked about Emory Parker. He gets beat in the first round by a guy that probably shouldn't be beating him, but he comes back for third, no harm, no foul. But in a duel, that match is over, and there's nothing else he can do. Right. Yeah, I, you're right. And, I, you know, we could probably talk about that for an hour. To go back to Illinois, I just think that they realistically, they need Piotrowski to get in the 6-7-8 slot, Mikey Carr to get in the 6-7-8 slot, Baroni to pin a guy and win a couple matches, Emery Parker to make the finals, and, and Deuce Ratchel to, like, pin two guys. And that's how they're going to score 35, 40 points again. Yep. Yeah. And come there to score a couple, you know, win a couple matches. Right. They could they can nickel and dime it for sure. Um, but they're gonna need a team effort to do it. Which makes Yeah, sense. but if you're you're betting you're betting the under on thirty seven and a half. Yeah, I think you'd have to. Yeah. I've never made a wager in my life, theoretically, but if I were, that's what I would do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the team they tied last year, which I Speaking of wagering, if you had bet going into the NCAA tournament that Oklahoma State and Illinois were going to tie, you could have gotten good odds on that one. Um, Oklahoma State. Oh, phenomenal odds. Yeah, yeah. 37 and a half points, finishing outside the top seven for only the second time at an NCAA wrestling tournament that they actually contested. There was one they missed due to sanctions. Uh, it was Everything went wrong. You know, I kind of talked about Lehigh losing a bunch of guys in the round of 12. You know, Oklahoma State lost three in the round of 12. They also had three All-Americans that finished eighth. So, you know, obviously you had Preston Weigel get hurt. He ended up going 0-2. It just seemed like one of those tournaments that everything went wrong for them. Yeah, but they just weren't as good last year, right? Like Mizzou beat them. And not only did Mizzou beat them, but Ernest, he could have beat Cade Brock. Connor Flynn came really close to pinning Chandler Rogers. I mean, you know, they they just weren't as good. They didn't wrestle as well. I mean, Dean Heil struggled all year. If Dean Heil hadn't been a two-time NCAA champ, you know, we wouldn't have thought he was going to do it. And then he makes the quarters, and he's beating, you know, he's beating Yanni with a minute left, you know, and, and gets, you know, gives up an escape and a takedown and a road out. Like, those are things we've seen Dean Heil win those matches from the opposite position. You know, Piccinini goes from fourth to round of 12. Kyle goes from first to round of 12. Chandler Rogers goes from six to eight. You know, the only guy that really moved up was Jacoby Smith, but 
if you look at all years, they have a ton of All-Americans on this team. Yeah, they have – this lineup for this year, I mean, you add Dayton Fix, obviously, somewhere, and you're just looking up and down the lineup. You could start eight All-Americans. I mean, technically, if Gio Martinez comes back, although I'm hearing he's hurt and he might not be able to do it, I mean, if you if you had him in the lineup, you could have nine technically. I mean, you're going to have Fix in the lineup and Derek White, who are neither one, but you technically have right. the most you're going to the most you can really start is is probably seven because they're not well eight with Geo, like you're saying. Right. But yeah, but you know they got Pitch, they got Cade, they got Boo, and you know they have hammers down there like Fix and Gefeller, who people expect to be all Americans. Chandler was an All-American. Joe was an All-American. Jacoby was an All-American. Weigel's been an All-American. White was in the round of 12 in a weight that really thins out. And I think, you know, talking about crazy bets, if anybody wants to bet that Dayton Fix isn't going All-American this year, I know you and me will take that bet. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know who you're going to find to take that bet on the other side. I, I would take that bet right. all day long. Uh, yeah, right. So, so you feel like they realistically – I think the big thing becomes who do they start at 25 because that's kind of the trigger for everything, right? Right. It, I mean, Piccinini's good size, but he's kind of got hollow bones. Um, Fix, you know, he's really short, but it also just does he want to do that? Does he want to wrestle 33 when he's going to go as soon as the season's over, like within like four weeks, go down to 57 kilos? For the U.S. Open because he has to. Right. I mean that's what he's trying to make the world team. Or does it just make? I mean, fifty-seven kilos is one twenty-five point four. Yeah. I've I thought all along he's going to go twenty-five for that reason. Yeah, and I'm on the same page as you on that. I understand the people that say it makes the Cowboys better if Picks goes twenty-five because he's better at that weight and Fix will. They think the theory is Fix would be the same at either 25 or 33. But when you look at the international rules for next year and fix is looking to be a world champion and it's going to be a two day format with flat weight, both days. So he's going to have to make 125.4 both days, right? You cannot get big enough to be a full size 133 and then expect to be able to do that in the summer. Like you can't do that. And obviously, like you said, the open, he's going to have to get there in April and it's just, it can't happen. So to me, I think Fix is going to go 25 because you have to let the better guy dictate his weight. And then Fix goes 33. I, I can't imagine he's going to stay at 41. I mean, I, I can't imagine Brock is going to stay at 33. I, he's got to move to 41 and battle with Gefeller. Like That's how I see it. Well, let's go back. So first of all, one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine about was if you could backyard pick, all the guys at 125 and 133 and said, who's the most likely guy to, to be a national champion? It's probably Spencer Lee, right? Yeah. And then if you start picking the next guys, almost all of them are 33 pounders. Like who's the best guy? And it's guys like Seth Gross. It's guys like Steven Misik. It's guys like Soriano who are not sure which way he's going to go, but it's more likely he's going up. And, you know, so then it's you got Luke Pletcher, and then you got Lee Zach who's up, and Tariq Wilson and all these guys. So what's really interesting is it's probably easier to make the finals at 25. It's probably theoretically easier to win the tournament at 33. But the quarter semifinal gauntlet is just going to be 
a lot more difficult. I'm not sure. I could see – I mean, here's the thing. Cade Brock really struggles on bottom. Him and Micah Jordan are probably the two best high-level dudes that just don't, don't do well on bottom. I don't know him moving up. Is, I think that would only exacerbate that problem. So it wouldn't shock me if Fix went 25, Brock went 33, G went 41, and Boo went 49. I could see, I mean, I could see it. I just don't. I think people are underestimating how big Brock is, and I do. I wonder how much that plays into his pr- trouble on bottom. I'm not saying that you know he gets ridden because he's gassed, but there's a certain amount of energy. You know, you, you watch these guys who cut a lot. And you have to wonder how much in, how much that's in their head that if I try too hard to get out, I'm not going to have enough for that next period, that kind of stuff. I kind of wonder about that. Now I don't. I'm not. He's not going to move up to 41 and be great on bottom. I don't think. But I do wonder, you know, how much that cut plays into that. I guess. I mean, I've seen him. Like he didn't look like he was, you know, Dean Heil size. You know, I, I you know. I mean, I don't know. They could do it. I mean, Piccinini's got a taller frame. He could definitely go 33. Brock could go 41. And then, you know, if he beats Boo out then or beats G out, then G and Boo would probably wrestle off at 49. The real problem they have is Joe Smith can't make 57. Because <laughs> if Joe Smith can make 57, this lineup is ridiculous. Right. Because you know, then they could go Smith, then Chandler, then Jacoby Smith then Dakota Gear, and then Weigel, and then Derek White. And a good day, they could have probably 10 All-Americans. Yeah, and and I agree with you on Brock. If he wants to go 33, I don't think they're going to stop him. I just can't imagine he will. Um, I think 57, I mean, I'm hearing that Joe can't make 57 anymore. And I think that... No, he can't. Right. You know, I, I'm telling you, he can't. Okay. I'm well, just saying it'd be nice if he could. Right. I thought it... it I mean, you kind of got the last word on that when Schomer is transferred in from Edinburgh because I, I can't imagine he's transferring in if they have Smith to man that spot. So, um, Well, I don't know that that's – I mean, because Dakota Gear transferred in 84, and he's going to have to wrestle off either Chandler Rogers or Jacoby Smith. Yeah, but that's – I mean, that's a guy moving up. That's a little different in my mind. But I don't know. You might be right. Maybe they just come there anyway. I just – you know, to me, and that's a little different too. I mean, gear is gear could be all American level. I don't think Shomers is at that level yet. Solid national qualifier type, but I don't think he's really, um, he's going to have to really jump levels, especially in neutral. He's really good on top, but I'm uh, not sure right. he's ready to be an all American on his feet. yet. Um, but regardless, yeah, it looks like Shomers or Blaylock at 57 and then throw your hands in the air. Cause Where's Joe Smith going to go? Chandler Rogers and Jacoby Smith were 65 and 74 last year. They're still going to be there. Smith's going to go at one of those weights. And like you said, at some point it's going to bump somebody up to 84. I really wonder how much of these conversations are happening now and how much we're going to see during the year of guys bumping around weights, trying to beat each other out. I don't know. I've, I've gone to that camp a couple of years and it's, it's odd how much they don't talk about their weights. Like they just, like they just show up in August and sort it out. So, I mean, and then you got Andrew Marsden in there at 84 too, who, you know, is kind of a dangerous dude. You know I mean? He, he can reach back and put you on your back. I mean, Weigel, they should have gotten surgery for him in the off season last year. So I think him just getting healthy, 
I feel like Weigel's a lock to place next year if he's healthy. I think Derek White's a lock to place if he's healthy. And I think they're going to place at 65 and 74 for sure with whoever they have there. And I think they're going to place at the first four weights. I feel like they have eight All-Americans. And if it's a Chandler Rogers that goes all the way up or Jacoby Smith that goes up to 84, if 84 clears out the way I think it will, seeing somebody there go sixth, seventh, or eighth would not be surprising at all. I mean, so this is a team that could have nine All-Americans, and it, it wouldn't be surprising. What's interesting is probably their best chance to make the finals is going to be a freshman. Yeah, and I think that's really – that's where Heil really hurt them from a tournament standpoint. Last year, he was their guy that was, you know, national title contender, guy that you know, could make the finals and score a bunch of points. So when he had his struggles and eventually flamed out, they didn't have anybody else, you know, eighth place. It's hard to score a lot of points when your guys are getting eight. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would agree, you know, fix walks in the door and no matter what way he goes, he's the odds on the best bet for Oklahoma state to make a, to have a finalist, which is surprising. Although, you know, Preston Weigel, like you said, if he's healthy, he's got that level of talent. I mean, he beat the national champion last year, so <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. Obviously you don't expect them to go 13th. You'd expect them to score a lot more points, but the battle to figure out that lineup, there's going to be a lot of questions and it, it baffles me that they don't talk about it, but it's been clear for years that they don't. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised to hear you say that. Um, it just really, it, that's, it's so surprising. It, sh- it always shocks me to hear that, especially after I've heard John talk about what kind of plan he has for these guys when he recruits them but then they just seem to let it fall where it falls. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be watching them at early tournaments is going to be a lot of fun because there's going to be a lot of speculation based on who goes where and who weighs what. Well, they're going to certify all those guys down a weight. You know, that's going to happen. Sure. And, you know, if you look at it, they just had a lot of guys go backwards, like Piccinini. Now he went from fourth to round of 12 and he got tech ball by Lezak, which is a guy that, you know, he had a one-point match with. Cade Brock takes fifth, but he gets majored by Tariq Wilson, who he teched at the spaghetti duel. You know, Dean Howe goes from national champion to round of 12. Boo, you know, I know him from my event, Border Brawl. Love that kid. He did really well for a freshman, you know, redshirt freshman. Yep. You know, wasn't really supposed to start. You know, Chandler dropped back two spots. And then, you know, Weigel got, you know, wrestled injured, but was an All-American the year before. I think we're all looking at it. Well, these guys just bounce back to where they are, where they were, and you add Joe Smith and you add Dayton Fix. I mean, realistically, they can be top. If you're top five, that's 10 points plus bonus. They can be top five at 25, 33, 41, 49, 65, 74, 97 heavyweight. That's 80 points. They can sneak. Jacoby Smith is athletic enough to place at 84. So you're like at 85, 90 points without bonus. I mean, this is a 100 point team. If you said which team can jump, can score 50 points more than they did last year, Oklahoma State is the only answer. Absolutely. It's got to be the first answer off of anybody's tongue. I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Chandler Rogers, you know, he might be the key to this whole thing. He wrestled 86 kilos at the under 23 world team trials and made the finals. So right. maybe yeah. he goes all the way up. I mean, I, I'm really high on Dakota gear. I think he could do really well, even if, you know, 
nobody goes up to 84. I think Oklahoma State's going to be fine there. But you've got to believe that if Rodgers just wants to get that big, he can do it. Maybe. I think it might be that he's just good enough to win it that way. And you, when you coach a long time, sometimes little guys, their feet and everything else, their skill level is better, and they can just get away with beating guys that are heavier than them. Yeah. And, I mean, nobody's going to ask I don't know that he's got a frame. His brother had a much bigger frame than he did. Right. And nobody's going to ask him how much he weighs as long as he's winning. <laughs> right. That's a great point. Yeah. So. Yep, yep, yep. So that's Oklahoma State, and that is our four teams for this week. Uh, what else do you have for the people? Well, I've been working with, with Jack Clark from the U.S. Wrestling Foundation. We're working on um, some things down the road that hopefully I'll be able to report to you on. But he is hosting the annual gala in Los Angeles next week. It's the U.S. World Men's Champion Freestyle Team. will be there along with Randy Couture, Jay Glazer, a bunch of guys from the UFC. The, the event's going to benefit Beat the Streets LA and the U.S. Wrestling Foundation programs to go the re to grow the wrestling market. You can get tickets at uswrestlingfoundation.com slash gala. And it's a really cool event. I mean, I'm talking to Jack, listen to Tim do the prep for this, a lot of work going into it. And it's, it's going to be a really high-profile event. And you know, they're passing all the money along to beat the streets and, and U.S. Wrestling Foundation is using some of the funds to grow wrestling throughout the country. So, you know, if you want to go meet, you know, the whole world team is going to be there, not just the ones, but the ones, the twos and the threes. And he actually told me that the I think it's the Marines are bringing all these guys down for the night and then they're going to go right back up to the training camp. So, I mean, like, you know, like guys like Deron Wynn, who wrestled for me, the twos and the threes, they're all going to be there. So if you're a wrestling fan and you're anywhere out in that area, or if you just want to make a trip out west and just kind of see everybody and get dialed up, it's a pretty cool opportunity. Absolutely. Beat the Streets is a great cause. It's one that I really support. I haven't made it out to the gala yet, but everybody I know that has gone to one in the past has enjoyed it. Absolutely encourage anyone listening to support that if they can. For sure. And so once again, it's U.S. Wrestling Foundation dot com slash gala. All right. Well, so, on that note, this has been episode 93 of Weighing In. For David Maricotani, I'm Alex Steen. Thanks for listening.